Hey, good evening, everyone. Good, <laughs> Debbie, wow. <laughs> hey, Matt. Good to see you, Debbie. <laughs> I suppose we didn't have a lot of time to catch up prior to. It is good to see you. Um, thanks, you guys, for coming out in the midst of the snow, in the midst of the chaos of the day. We're so glad that you are with us for this evening. For those of you who uh, weren't with us last weekend at the retreat, uh, we missed you. We missed you so much. It wasn't even fun without you. So please come next year. Please come next year. Uh, we did miss you. But we're glad that you, uh, I don't know, I'm assuming you had a good weekend. You stayed safe. I didn't. Uh, I don't know if you missed that news update. Uh, we played basketball at the retreat, and I was physically assaulted by a parishioner. Some of the ballers. And I'm not going to name names, but there was one particular baller who... Um, Let's just say my defense was bringing a certain level of heat, and he tried to get me out of the kitchen. And so <laughs> it got weird out there. I am under strict orders from my doctor to be on uh, vocal rest. So this is going well so far, <laughs> actually. I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Speaking of basketball, you guys, my uh, six-year-old, Wyatt, I know how old my kid is, okay? <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Wyatt had a game the other night, uh, and he was awesome. I mean, as awesome as like a six-year-old basketball game can get, it's, it's a sloppy, hot mess, not the sharpest of skills that are going on out there, but it is so fun. This is like the first level of competition. This was three nights ago, and there was one play in particular, where I just got to tell you about it. I got to break as a dad, um, where this kid was going down, and, and Wyatt ran up to him. As the kid is cocking and ready to shoot the shot, Wyatt comes up smacks the ball out of his hands and then proceeds to stand over the kid and just stare at him. And it was amazing. And I got on my feet. I don't know if you've seen enough sports center to see like when LeBron's watching his kid play, and he just starts like stalking the sidelines a little bit. Like I'm looking for like this kid's parents. I have something to say to him now. We're better than you. Maybe that's a starting thing I would say. We are better than you. We just proved it. So I'm going crazy. I'm starting to shop for like an and one shirt for Wyatt because he's earned his stripes. Do you remember those shirts? Do you guys remember those shirts? Did anybody else wear those shirts? The ones that say like, I am butter, you are toast, or you know what I'm saying? Tim, you know what I'm saying. Those shirts that say like, um, what was the one that I had? Mom, you bought it for me. You told me it was true. <laughs> it was, um, what's the matter? Did your mommy forget to pack your game with your lunch? Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Anyways, I was flying high, and um, I, I was super pumped. But then I noticed that Wyatt wasn't. It, it was like immediately after he had this massive block that I was sure would be all over SportsCenter that evening, he was kind of sulking. And he was kind of all of a sudden, like, went from proactive, pursuer, all in, to kind of held back, cautious, not sure really what to do. And I was like, man, what happened? So first break, I go down to him, and, and I'm like, man, that was such a sick block. But why did you feel like you were kind of nervous afterwards? He said, I got scared. He said, I said, why did you get scared? He goes, well, the, the coach on the other team said that I'm not allowed to block in this league. And I said, it's because it's the coach's kid that you blocked. You will block in this league. He goes, I got scared. I don't want to get in trouble. And so I just stopped playing as hard. Now this is just basketball. We're talking about six-year-old basketball, but there are parallels, right? There's something about getting scared, going all in until you stub your toe, get hurt, get wounded. You open your arms up a little too wide, and somebody struck you. 
you got scared, and no longer were you going all in. You now were holding back. You were no longer playing for the win. You were just trying to protect yourself from getting into trouble. And it kept you stunted, not in full sprint, but held back. It reminded me of this quote that Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said that fear defeats more people than any other one thing in the world. I read this thing um, that I think is interesting with that in mind. And by interesting, I mean terrifying. Because it said in this study recently that was done that um, babies are born with two natural fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Those are, those are embedded in the program. But when they ran a study of 500 adults from all different backgrounds, lifestyles, ethnicities, um, they found that on average, the average adult goes from two as baby to 7,000. So from the time you are a baby to the time you are an adult, you have picked up 6,998 different fears. 6,998 different voices that are trying to shut you down. 6,998 different uh, ingredients of paranoia that are trying to freeze your life. 6,998 different fingers of fear that are trying to reach into you and take your heart so you will stop living and start merely existing. Now, obviously, these fears change, right? I mean, our fears evolve as we grow older. I mean, in my 20s, I was terrified of being left out. Now, in my 30s, I'm terrified of being included. Like, that's kind of like the shift. I'm one example. But fears overall, they change. When you have parents, when you fall in love, when you get close to different people, when you take on new jobs, when you, when you, whatever it may be, none of our fears are the same. But the reality that we all have fears is true. Maybe not 7,000 we could rattle off the top of our heads, but I guarantee you if I went row by row, you would have one that would come right away. Something that is reaching in you to take your heart. Which is why I think it's so imperative that we listen to Jesus' words when he says that you need to make sure that you take your heart first. Take heart. Because if you don't, somebody else or something else certainly will. The context of the text that I was thinking about this week is in John 16. This is when Jesus can feel the political heat rising around him. He can feel the soldiers coming his way. His pulse is quickening. He's not sleeping as much. Things are heavy and hard. The hour is near. It's no longer days are near. The hour is near, and he can feel it. And so he sits down with his friends, and he tells them, he he doesn't sugarcoat it at all. He says, it's going to get dark. It's going to get really bad. It's going to get really hard, not just for me, but also for you. Not just because you're going to be grieving what's going to happen to me, but also because you're going to be in the crosshairs. They're going to be coming for you. It's going to be hard. This isn't going to be easy. Nothing is going to be easy. But here's the good news. I'm telling you all of this so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. 
Those two words there, take heart, come from the one word, tharseo, which is tied really to another word, which is thero. Thero is uh, the, at its root about warm weather. It's where we get thermal and thermometer. It's, it's, it's got a, a uh, warm weather type element embedded inside of it, which made me think about um, my boys and the fact that they are four-season bath takers. They hate the shower. I think I've given you this example before, but it still always comes to mind when I think about this. Now, by and large, there are different reasons why my kids prefer the bath over the shower. I mean, recreational activities for one. And then B, they just like to see what they're accomplishing in the process of getting clean. And so they choose the bath over the shower. They usually don't come in with a lot of complaints when they're inside of the bath. Outside of one time, true story, Sawyer started to have a meltdown because the bath was too wet. That was a one-time thing. The most common complaint that gets registered from the boys, though, is to nobody's surprise, Dad, the water has grown cold. It once was hot, and now it's cold. Now, of course, we know that the water didn't grow cold. It grew to 70 degrees. It grew to the temp of the room. We set the tone. We decided on the thermostat that the temp in that room would be 70 degrees, and so the water is going to... It's going to go join that, right? That's how it works. It drops down. And I think this is important to think about because when you think about what's in you, it often has to do with what you're in. What's in you has to do with what you're in. The correlation is so tightly bound together. And I think one of the key things Jesus says here is that, yes, you are in a troublesome world. Yes, there is paranoia on every corner. Yes, you have 10,025 different reasons to be afraid before you even get out of bed in the morning. But what you're in doesn't have to be what's in you. You could take heart before anything takes your heart. You could be a thermostat and stop being a tub temp taking thermometer. You could set the tone. You could dictate the terms of engagement. You could take heart. This is, after all, what Dr. King spoke about. Dr. King, in his letter from the Birmingham jail, he talks about how the early church used to do that. He says that in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the Moors of society. Has the places that you are in found a place in you? Do the spaces that you step inside, have they found a way to step inside of you? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? I want to respond and say to Jesus, like, I'm a thermostat for sure, but I know that's not true. I know that's not true. In fact, even just thinking about this right now, I could tell you about these past couple of weeks for me, man, I don't, I have been in the funkiest of funks. I don't know if it's been full-blown depression or not, genuinely. I read a quote the other day from a guy named Rollo May who said that depression is the inability to construct a future. That feels close to my reality right now. Now, maybe it's the winter season I'm in. Maybe it's because I have kids who are, crying about baths being wet. I don't know exactly what it is. But I could tell you right now that there is 
definite that the contents inside of me has to, there's a correlation in a relationship of some sort with the context that I'm in. Now, thank God I have an incredible wife and there are things that I can do about it. So now I'm taking a gratitude journal where I'm daily taking time out to say, this is what I'm thankful for. This is how good I got it. This is evidence of God's love in my life manifesting all around me. I'm going to take the time to name it as such. There are ways out of it. There are ways out of the context of, of, of foggy feeling, depression, whatever it may be. But what about fear? Because that context is very real. Those teeth sink just as deep into me as any other kind of teeth will. In fact, just today, I wrote down just the news alerts that flashed on my phone that will give you an indicator of the context that we are in. This is the things that flashed on my phone today. The coronavirus. Two New York police officers shot in an assassination attempt. Found out that Facebook is hackable. There were masked men walking through yards at night in Minneapolis. We have porch pirates all over our neighborhood. And there were white supremacists who were marching in Washington, protected by the police. It makes this comic that I saw uh, so relatable. If we're going to watch the news, I'm going to need my glasses. That's better. <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King, it was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. It's not enough for us to keep pouring hot water into the tub. We have to start putting the tub in a different room. It's not enough just for us to be concerned about our inner contents without ever engaging our exterior and external contexts. The reason why the church is in the shape that the church is in today is because we haven't done this enough. We've had our hearts so easily taken that we forgot that it's our job to take them. We haven't tharseoed the way that we've been called to do so. You know, another translation of the word tharseo, as you find it in different texts, is be of good cheer. So it's not just take heart, be of good cheer, which is actually a helpful thing as well. Because if you're saying to me that I need to be of good cheer, then implicit inside of that is a reminder that you could also be of bad cheer. Like there are things out there that I think we do that feel good, but aren't really good. That make you feel better but they're not actually making you better. Like when you, when I ate a whole sleeve of Oreos the other night, felt great in the moment, didn't feel as good the moment afterwards. Not everything that we do f that feels good is actually good, but what happens is when we get in times where we are so contextually antagonized by fears and paranoia, we end up finding different kinds of sedatives for the symptoms on the surface and we neglect the needs underneath. What's going to appease the problem right now so I don't have to deal with the problem inside? And, you know, when you do that, the, per the Oreos, it could put a few extra pounds on your body, but when you think about holistically as a society, 
It could do some other things that are damaging. It could put politicians into office who are offering you paranoia so that they can profit off of it. There was an interesting article, and I might have told you guys about this in the past, but by the uh, community organizer, Saul Alinsky. In 1972, he did an interview with Playboy magazine. And in the interview, he says these words, which are so fascinating because he's speaking about what is happening right now when you have a bunch of people who are antagonized, who are angry, who are anxious, who are scared, and they don't know what to do about it. They have no idea where to go with all of their emotions. He said this, the middle class actually feels more defeated and lost today on a wide range of issues than the poor do. And this creates a situation that's supercharged with both opportunity and danger. There's a second revolution seething beneath the surface of middle-class America, the revolution of a bewildered, frightened, and as yet inarticulate group of desperate people groping for alternatives, for hope. Their fears and their frustrations over their impotence can turn into political paranoia and demonize them, driving them to the right, making them ripe for the plucking by some guy on horseback promising a return to the vanished verities of yesterday. That has happened not just to many in the middle class, but to many who claim Christ. We've allowed our image to be made in the image of fear and not the Father. We forfeited the calling to live as lovers. We've instead been demonizers. Scared of everybody. In fact, the Pew Research Center talks about how in the past four years, racially motivated crimes are up in almost every category, and yet the group, the demographic that is actually the most afraid are white evangelical Christians. See, it's not actually, when you think about fear, it's not actually about the dangers around us. It's about what we tell ourselves about what's around us, our interpretation of what's happening around us. And so fear comes at us and takes our heart every time we fail to do so first. Every time we fail to step up and say that in this world there are problems, but I will not be overwhelmed because I know the one who overcame and I will take my heart and I will not let myself be taken by lesser things. Christ went way too far for me to stop so short. Fear is polluting our dialogues. Fear is polluting our imagination. Fear is polluting our future. And the church cannot be a perpetuant of this. It has to be the ones who say stop. No more thermometers. It's time we grow up and be the thermostats that we were called to be. First John. 16 through 18. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And I guess you could also make the argument then that perfect fear can cast out love. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if, if perfect love can drive out fear, that tells me that where there is fear, there's an absence of love. And so what does it look like for us to actually counter narratives of fear with a force of love that actually means something? That makes a difference in the world outside. That makes a difference in the, wor- in the world inside. What do we need to do about the spaces we're in so we are not so constantly paranoid and we're not being kept from actually loving our neighbors as ourselves? Love, ascribing worth to another at a cost to oneself. That is an antidote for fear. I want to close by showing you this video that Gino sent to Debbie and I this week that is beautiful. And it's basic. And it's urgently in need. And if Denmark can figure it out, I think we can too. It's easy to put people in boxes. There's us and there's them. The high owners and those just getting by. Those we trust and those we try to avoid. There's the new Danes, and those who've always been here. The people from the countryside, and those who've never seen a cow. The religious, and the self-confident. There are those we share something with, and those we don't share anything with. Welcome. Det kommer til at stille jer nogle spørgsmål i dag. Nogle af dem kan godt være lidt personlige, men jeg håber, I vil svare ærligt på dem. Hvem herinde i rummet var klassens klog? Hvem er bonusforældre? Suddenly, there's us. We who believe in life after death. We who've seen UFOs. And all of us who love to dance. We who've been bullied. And we who've bullied others. And then there's us, the lucky ones who've had sex this past week. We who are broken-hearted. We who are madly in love. We who feel lonely. bisexual and we who acknowledge the courage of others we who have found the meaning of life and we who have saved lives and then there's all of us who just love Denmark so maybe there's more that brings us together than we think 
TV2 Denmark. All that we share. Let me close with this quote from your boss and my boss. Fear is a powerful thing, baby. It can turn your heart black. You can trust. It'll take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. Jesus, 365 times in sacred texts, you tell us not to be afraid. One for each day of the year. Give us the courage to listen. God, give us the courage to uh, love at all costs, all costs. Give us the courage to enter into other people's stories with no assumptions and just curiosity. You have overcome. Help us to take heart and find our peace in that truth. In Christ's name, we pray all this together. Amen. Definitely think you raised the temperature in the room. Thank you. My name is Mark. Hello. Uh, I love thinking about being courageous. That's one of the ways that I love to live my life. Being up here on stage it takes a lot of courage <laughs> some days, right? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit out there and I think, what's going to be my next step? How am I going to take courage? And maybe some of you have been thinking that too. But before we start making our lists, maybe there's... There's something here yet to do tonight, maybe a step of courage that maybe has become familiar to you, but a step of courage that might be the most important step you can take. And that might be just saying a resounding yes to Jesus. Paul writes in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink this, every time, think of me. When we drink the cup, when we eat the bread, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he returns. So we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. You are so welcome. There are no requirements except to just bring yourself. We're going to have stations set up on the side. There'll be a gluten-free station here in the middle. Uh, you can take the bread. You can dip it in the wine or the cup, whatever. Is it wine? Grape juice. Grape juice. <laughs> We're working on that. We'll get there. <laughs> and uh, any other rules? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. But... Um, <laughs> Why don't we stand together? <laughs> and and uh, 
with an act of courage, let's repeat the Lord's Prayer together. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.